Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hey everyone, Kristen Sinanta Walker here, and I am back with Catherine Greer Limpo for our show, Women Who Lead, and we're going to talk about leading as ourselves and what that means. Catherine, hi, welcome back after the holiday rush of 2018. Yes, hi Kristen, I'm so glad to be back with you, thank you. So you came up with some great points, um, you know, talking points about leading as ourselves. So why don't you get us started off with those? Sure, you bet. Um, I was act- actually spending some time reflecting during the break um, and doing some kind of branching out in terms of reading and podcast listening. And, uh, you know, it's not often as busy folks, and I think that most all of us um, can kind of embrace this notion, um, to just really be able to take time to stop and think and be present and have the opportunity to um, reflect and be introspective. And I know that at the turn of the year, um, we tend to take on sort of an introspective spirit anyway, you know, the right. notion of old Lang Syne and, you know, the old year passing and the new year unfolding before us. Right. Um, Join the gym and to then not go. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. But, you know, what, what we do think about and kind of embrace as we have those opportunities to reflect quietly, I think is, is particularly important. And, um, as leaders, those quiet times are invaluable for us to stop and to regroup and to, um, you know, sometimes reset the course as to the way we want to lead or the way we want to um, show up as leaders in whatever context it happens to be. Um, And I'm going to start with a little bit of a story, if that's okay. Um, And that was, I was, um, I have a very dear friend who um, has always been associated with boats for me. Um, He was a sailor in high school. Um, 
grew up and went to the Coast Guard Academy, was in the Coast Guard for a career, um, eventually retired and is now someone who lives on the sailboat. And he's a, a good friend of mine. And I had the opportunity, very fortunately, to um, fly down to the Bay Area on the 30th. And we spent two days on his sailboat. Um, the weather was perfect. It was, you know, in the 40s and low 50s. It was sunny, but not too sunny. It was windy, but not too windy. And the bay itself has its own um, sort of tide system where the wind on one side of one island may be completely different than the wind on another side. And so the requirement to be present as you're sailing um, and to stay in the moment and aware of your surroundings is quite significant. And so during that time, sailing was really all that I could think about. I mean, I could think about chatting with my friend and whatnot, but the sailing really required us to be there and present. And it was very meditative, not to the point of, of yoga and the way that um, my relationship is with, with yoga and meditation, but it was meditative to have to be present aware of your emotions, aware of your responses and reactions to your environment. And it also made me aware of, um, you know, maybe some new ways to approach leading as ourselves and being more present leaders um, as we enter into the new year. So that's a bit of a, a rambling start, but um, <laughs> that was... <laughs> I had thought about those things too. You know, I, I had two 14 hour drives and I listened to audiobooks both ways and uh, thought about a lot of this kind of stuff. And uh, I've said this on other shows, but I'll say it really quickly here that I read. Um, I, I can't remember his name, Mark Marin, maybe uh, who wrote um, the art of not giving up. <laughs> So it was really, really a good book. Um, and everyone I've given it to agreed that it's a great book. And it made me think about these things also. You know, when you talk about like one of the, your points was Brene Brown, Daring to Lead, Gifts of Imperfection. Um, the benefit of being in a mental health company is that I get to live in the bubble of imperfections and I get permission to do so because I'm in the mental health field. That's that is right. And it's, that wow. is really nice. However, the other side of that is it really has forced me to look at how and what my perfectionistic tendencies are, how I speak to myself, um, mm -hmm. how I, how much pressure I put on myself uh, around making mistakes and being vulnerable and what have you, because it's all fine and well to be vulnerable on a podcast to a bunch of faces that I don't see. I mean, we, I, we interact with email and direct message and whatever, but I'm not looking at people sharing these, this stuff. Um, so it's really interesting to, to have to stretch myself in a different way and be like, 
well, that's all well and good that you're in this bubble, but you've still got a lot of stuff and here's a bigger spotlight on it because you can kind of hide in mental health. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's making sure that, you know, we ourselves are congruent with kind of what we're professing or the way that we, mm-hmm. um, you know, intend to present ourselves with leaders. So, um, you know, one of the things that I had read, um, and I, I told you before, I kind of have this constant series of what I consider to be many epiphanies in my <laughs> life. And I, I think what it actually boils down to is constantly being being whapped with a fish, you know, <laughs> brought back into reality in one way or another. Right. Um, but, you know, being introspective really gives you the opportunity to think about being authentic and what it actually means to be an authentic leader. And there's a great article that I stumbled on that is, um, that has been published by the Harvard business school called the truth about authentic leaders. And the gentleman who's often cited in this article is Bill George. And he gives us a number of points to work down um, to make sure that we're being the most authentic and the most real that we can be when we show up. And a lot of it, to your point, Kristen, is about congruency. So is is our life and the way that we are leading our lives and talking to ourselves and managing our own inter- internal dialogue congruent with the type of leader that we want to present to the world? Yeah. Oh boy. And I think if people really sat and thought about that and made some exercises around, well, I'm going to take, I'm going to be really mindful about what I say to myself mm-hmm. today, today mm-hmm. even just one day, they'd be like, oh boy, there is a lot of incongruency here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think that everybody could probably, you know, if, if they critically looked at themselves, they could probably identify as, as many as they wanted to. Um, but being able to do so, it turns out is one of the key skills in truly being an authentic leader. So it's the engagement, um, in reflection and introspection into practices. So not just, you know, your habits, um, but, you know, to your point, the way that you conduct yourself, the way that you. Um, make congruencies between uh, your life and what you profess, Um, making sure that you're taking the time to be quiet and engage in meditative or mindfulness activities so that you can listen to that always quiet voice and continue to create greater congruency um, between, you know, what you really want to be Uh, and how you're presenting yourself. And it's interesting um, what's cited in the article. It says, um, in this way, the urgent does not take precedent over the important in one's life. And I thought that that was um, Mm. was actually a pretty cool way to look at it. (laughs) Say that one more time. In this way, the urgent does not take precedent over the important in Ooh, one's life. I like that. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, kind of along the uh, codependency, no more notion that Melanie Beattie laid out 
um, that said that the, you know, the codependent needs to do something now because that thing is important regardless of what it is. You know, we need to do something and fast, even if we don't know what it is. Um, those aren't really important things. Those are urgent things. So it's that, it's yeah. that meditation and introspection that allows us to get quiet and really decipher what's important. I think too, it allows us to, when we get meditative and quiet and mature and say no, uh, and practice those no muscles that take a lot of work, um, then when people that get a lot of pleasure out of um, causing frenzies everywhere, they stop mm-hmm. having power over us. They stop, you know, they just are incapable of making us make everything urgent anymore. Yes. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, you know, another one of the things that um, came up in this article is seeking honest feedback. And it actually came up in one of my 360 degree reviews earlier this year um, that I have not been asking for feedback from my folks um, or feedback from my peers for that matter. Um, And I, I wonder if you often ask for feedback. So in the context of the folks that you work most closely with, Oh my God. Okay. So tell, so tell me what that's like and tell me about listening to the truth tellers. (laughs) I have, I have really, really good ones. Um, uh, I I will just, well, I, I had to take a journey with it because I used to look to every, to all things outside myself, um, in order to make decisions and, because, you know, I didn't know what I was doing or whatever. I used to not do that. And then when I started this particular venture with the network, I just went, I so didn't know what I was doing, how to do it, how to run it, all that stuff. And to a degree, still don't, huh? still figuring it out. But I, I just asked everybody's opinion. And that was a problem because I it was just blowing in the wind and whoever had like seemingly the strongest opinion, um, I would, okay, I'm going to do it that way. And that never works out well. Um, I, and then I realized I am so not like trusting myself. I've been an entrepreneur since I was 27. (laughs) I mean, I've made enough mistakes, plenty of mistakes to be able to trust my own gut. So there was a, a journey with that. And now it's, it's down to, I've got key people that I can call and say, what do you think about this, this, or this, or whatever it is, not all the time, but when it's really something important and um, they know how to tell it, to give me feedback in a way that I don't shut down and that I totally, or feel like, Oh my God, you mm-hmm. know, shame mm-hmm. or whatever. And I, hear it and go and hear it completely fine and go, "Mm, okay, got it, got it, got it. And still decide that, you know, maybe 80% of that would work for me and 20% doesn't. And uh, it's been lovely. It's been lovely to practice doing that. Right. And, um, you know, I think what you're describing is, you know, feedback from 
those we we trust and you know respect and in some cases love very much and we're open to to feedback from folks like that um and then also those just in close proximity to yeah. us um you know prior yeah, to i the guess break, listeners and stuff too yeah I yeah people absolutely. that aren't my close friends like what what do you think about this and hmm Okay. Interesting. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> well, no, and it's, it's good to be, um, to be pliable to that. I mean, not manipulated, of course, but, you know, to be pliable to changing and, and bending with feedback that's, that's administered. Um, prior to the break, I actually sent my group um, an email looking for their feedback. I know that a lot of them have responded. Um, I haven't read them yet because I'm not back in work mode, <laughs> but, but um Right. <laughs> but yeah. okay. So every uh, moment out of vacation that you possibly can. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. But um, the questions were, you know, number one, I don't feel like we're very accountable to our deadlines. And I was looking for their feedback as to how we as a group develop greater accountability around meeting deadlines. And then the second question I asked is that if they were me, what would they do more of and what would they do less of? Um, so I'm really looking forward to understanding, you know, the, the kinds of things they have to say in response to those questions. So should be interesting. <laughs> yeah. I remember being at, at an office because um, I was in and out of so many different companies when I was doing CRM consulting and it was, there were literally in my 10 plus years doing that kind of consulting, going in and out of companies at the time that I was doing that. So we're talking the nineties um, and early mm -hmm. 2000. I, and I literally had like over a thousand clients, right? At, wow. at, and I had two female CEOs of all those people. Wow. <laughs> it shows you how much things have changed, but one of the worst CEOs that I ever um, had had to deal with was a female and she ran, she just, oh, raging, raging narcissist. And um, she was like, oh, I let everybody speak their mind. They can put in a, um, you know, an anonymous tip, but everybody there was so locked down and fearful and afraid of of making her angry that they even still filled out the anonymous tips with, Oh, roses fly out of your rear end all the time, boss. Oh my gosh. So I just sat there going, Oh my God, I actually fired them as a client. Cause I just was like, I can't even be in this office. This is horrifying. But um, you know, I mean, if you got people that are like that and even asking for anonymous feedback, uh, but this office place is so scary too, because the boss is unhinged. You're not going to get much honest feedback. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> probably not in that, in that situation. People are probably, um, looking for the retribution on the other side of the feedback. If it's, uh, if it has any sort of an honest flavor to it. Well, it's that, and it's also, you know, when you're dealing with a tyrant, you will do anything to keep them from being tyrannical. 
Yeah. So you're not going to say anything um, that, that they, you know, will make them blow a gasket, even if it's quote unquote anonymous. But I think, uh, yeah. So how, how will you take reading some of the things that, you know, that come to you? Um, well, hopefully, (laughs) hopefully I always tell them hope's not a plan too. So if anybody (laughs) heard me say, hopefully they'd be like, she said, hopefully, um, (laughs) I, I, I want it to help me clarify my purpose. And, you know, interestingly, it's yet another point in this article where, um, you know, we need to understand what our leadership purpose is. So if there, if there are things that I should be doing more of, that tells me that my folks detect some sort of a, a deficit. So again, my behavior is not necessarily congruent with either the outcome or the purpose that I'm there to serve. So I really want to take whatever feedback they're able to, to give to me and create a positive impact, whether it's you know, in achieving certain metrics or in, um, you know, making sure that the group has some sort of sustained success or what have you. Um, But I think it's really in my best interest to listen to the people that I'm trying to lead, you know, particularly in the, you know, what would you do more of, what would you do less of um, kind of arena, you know. How how have you dealt with... um since you are in in leadership positions and you have that experience and sometimes you really just know that something's going to work out, even though everybody else that hasn't been in a leadership position is like, this is not going to work. It's not going to work. It's not going (laughs) to work. And even there, it's not going to work is part of what's going to make it work. And you know Mm -hmm. that because you've been Mm -hmm. through this a hundred times and, uh, you know, how, how are you writing? Cause that's always interesting for me. Like, how are you about navigating that without, you know, going to ego and being like, listen, just, I'm the leader, just know that this will work and blah, blah, blah. Cause that's a, that's a, that's a touchy one. You know, I, I actually really love that question though. Um, because I'm very much, uh, a process person and oftentimes um, a, a group will ask me to look at something that looks sort of like a scrambled mess and build something linear out of it. Um, so that um, is beautiful to me, you know, taking kind of the rat's nest and making something clear and integrated out of it, but it's not always something that the receiving organization is um, willing to embrace. So if you imagine even um, some of the companies that I've worked with, and I've been in pretty heavy manufacturing my entire career, they aren't groups that are known for swift changes or being very agile or having the ability to really embrace the change management mindset and do things quickly. Um, So when you stick a a process person into an environment like that, there's automatically going to be a fair amount of resistance to what's being brought to the table. 
And so I think my challenge has been more overcoming the, well, we've tried that before and it's not going to work people. Um, (laughs) then, then, Then necessarily having to drag folks along. Um, right. and, or the people and, that are like, she going cray cray and this ain't going to yeah, work. Yeah, exactly. We'll just... <laughs> because, because usually when, when you're looking at something that needs to be um, deconstructed and then reconstructed in a linear fashion, it's because it doesn't work anymore. And um, we can do what we did yesterday all day long, but, you know, just like Henry Ford's definition of, of insanity you know, you keep doing something over and over again, get the same result. Um, it's it's not very positive either for you as a leader or for um, your work group who obviously wants to be productive and move things forward. Um, one of the things I have found helpful, though, um, and it's yet another point in this article is, and you and I do this all the time, so it's reaching back into our own experiences and telling stories about how we tried something and how it worked, you know, or how we tried something and how it didn't work, but here's what we learned from it. Right. Exactly. You know, it's so funny. I had, I just did a show earlier today and a friend of mine was talking about her daughter who's in her twenties and has a really great first job out of the gate, very um, prestigious, such a great opportunity um, for someone at her age. And, She's very a very competent, intelligent young woman, and tends to be perfectionistic and has a people just assume that she knows what she's doing all the time, and she doesn't want to let anyone down by saying I don't understand something. And I was listening to that and I was like, oh my god, that was me. <laughs> yeah. And it's still me, you know, in much too much of a lesser degree. But when you are that way um, as a leader, that really tests your leadership. And that brings us into the whole, you know, part of being a leader is that you have failed a lot. Yeah. And you've done it publicly Mm -hmm. (laughs) with the title of leader, (laughs) which is super fun. Yeah. And you found ways to um, take that vulnerability and put it in front of people and make that weakness a strength. Um, You know, so interesting to me, even in the stories that we tell, um, I love the stories of my, my own failures or my own oops or my own, Oh my God, that, how could I have done that? Um, (laughs) Because not only do they make me feel better every time I tell them, (laughs) um but they are learning you know they do show the ability to you know learn from a mistake or uh evolve in the way that we approach a situation I don't even really call them mistakes anymore I call them missteps Mm -hmm. Um, not because (laughs) I I, you know not because I didn't do some boneheaded things but um or will do some you know but just to me, it's more like, okay, well, yeah, but, you know, everything turned out the way it was supposed to. So that wasn't a mistake, meaning I shouldn't have done it. It was another step along the way to what ended out, uh, you know, ended up being 
okay. So mm-hmm. there now there there are full on mistakes. Just don't get me wrong. <laughs> but some of them are just you know epic missteps uh that you know that you and i like differentiating between the two okay yep that was definitely a mistake this one was a misstep it felt like a big fat mistake but it actually was part of the the success so you know being able to sit back and take your own counsel, trust yourself. And I like what you said about, you know, you like hearing these things, you know, that you've done. I think as we get older and we're, I don't know, less critical, more evolved, whatever it is, um, being able to take inventory of your life and look at it with kindness and compassion for yourself is... Mm -hmm the benefit of aging. That's why I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be 49 this month. I'm almost a 50. That's awesome. Instead of (gasps) I'm aging out, you know, (laughs) I just don't look at it that way. I'm like, oh good. I'll be at 50. I'll be even that much more comfortable in my skin. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, And I, I guess I like the, I like the notion of a misstep. Um, It ties back to, uh, a TED talk I listened to recently that was the unexpected benefit of celebrating failures and really looking at the way that unintended outcomes um, create effect in our lives. So although we may have thought that you know one outcome would have been the absolute best and it would have been the difference in our own lives between success and failure, oftentimes the story that that situation creates is much more valuable than the success would have been. And that's what I really like. Absolutely. Um, oh, I'm just totally going to find that TED talk. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just the ability to go back and, you know, look at, look at those missteps to your point and um, describe them in such a way that it doesn't sound like a lesson or a lecture. Yeah. It sounds like the unfolding of an experience that someone could truly learn something from. Um, yeah, that's what I was telling my friend. I said, listen, I, I know your daughter's not going to hear this because I wouldn't have heard this. But it's so true that, I mean, she needs to make a lot of mistakes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. We, you know, I think when we get older, we we still, of course, make mistakes. We do that our whole life and missteps. But we're so much kinder to ourselves, or at least some of us are anyway. That's our journey is that we get more kind to ourselves. And so maybe we make fewer missteps. Maybe we make fewer mistakes. And a lot of it for me was something I said to myself hmm, about mid last year, I, some light bulb went off an aha moment. And I went, you know, I am so used to being driven by chaos and drama <laughs> and learning these fantastic life lessons from chaos and drama and toxicity that that's become a neuropathway that's like a trench driven right down into my skin goal all the way to my nasal cavity. And that is really not how I want to, I don't want everything to have to be this. <laughs> Backward measure. 
upending of my whole life. So I stopped and I just said, okay, I now accept learning lessons in harmonious, peaceful ways. And when I did that, I did. I started having mistakes and missteps happen because they're gonna forever but they came in ways that were very gentle and I could hear them because I listened to myself more and go, Oh, okay. I didn't need someone to take. It was like a a little tack hammer instead of someone or me taking a jackhammer and going, have you learned this? It was okay. Have you learned this? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Very kind to yourself. If you can get to that place, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And even better to be able to you know, take that kindness that you're exhibiting to yourself and translate it into the way that you're leading. Yes. I think about um, I think about that line between purpose and values within the context of an authentic leader and our opportunities or missteps or mistakes kind of help us clarify what that line is. You know, when we make a mistake, um, we 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 check what it was we were trying to accomplish to begin with and align it again to uh, to the intent or the value behind it. And if we keep going around that entire wheel, you know, those values impact our relationships. And then the relationships impact the self-discipline that we bring to ourselves and those around us if we're in a leadership position. Um, but most importantly, I think, is the alignment between um, purpose and heart, because if our heart's not in our purpose, um, then we're not really leading. We're sort of performing an act that simulates managing people, but we're not really leading with our hearts at that point. Absolutely. And that's so true. It's so true. I had a and I was I was noticing how irritable I was getting at having to do some administrative things like, why do I have to do this? Why, you know, and I'm less and less grumpy about that stuff. Um, And the less grumpy I am about it, the more it's because I'm, um, you know, just doing what you're talking about, more compassion for myself, more compassion for the people that I work with. Um, seeing, you know, the bigger picture of what they have to deal with in their lives and, and also how quick people are in your life to tell you uh, this isn't work related, but it was interesting when I told some of my friends that are very good friends, Hey, I'm going to drive 14 hours to um, be with my son for the holiday break um, for a little bit. And then, so he can then fly to be with his father for Christmas because we don't want his dad to, you know, be alone on Christmas. And then I'll watch his dog while he goes because he doesn't trust anybody to watch his dog, which I totally understand. And it's expensive. And it was so funny that I told some friends that and some of my friends, quite a few of them said, well, what is it you're doing for you? You need to be taking care of you. I don't see where that's taking care of you. You're so you do so much for other people. Da, 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 da. And I'm not upset that they did that. It just was funny. I was like, gosh, I don't even need to like 
tell myself those things because I got plenty of friends that'll and this situation was not about that. I did take care of myself, but it was funny to have that feedback. And I think when we look at that in work situations too, um, and you're much more peaceful and people you're approachable as a leader, you are compassionate as a leader. Um, plenty of people will take up, you know, a kind of a banner for you. And sometimes you have to navigate very nicely saying, thank you. I don't need you to do that. That's, that's not, that's not what you're here for, you know, as a leader Mm -hmm. to say that to people. Um, But thank you. I really appreciate how much you care, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Leading is, is taking, all of the experiences of leading and dealing with them. (laughs) Yeah. How how have you done that? You know, where you've had maybe someone on your team just really jump to your defense about something and you're like, wow, I didn't even know I needed to be defensive about something. What's going on here? Um, you know, I, I think it's happened more in instances where people are trying to get me excited about something as opposed to someone overstepping a boundary and being over enthusiastic on my behalf. Okay. Although um, I, I think that, I mean, it, it happens not often, but, you know, sometimes where someone might speak on your behalf. And I know we talked about this in the context of coattailing, um, you know, a couple months ago where someone might, you know, try and represent your view when actually that's, you know, maybe an inflated or perhaps misrepresented perspective of your, of your view. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Yeah, that makes sense. And having to decode that and do it in a compassionate way. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And kind of talking them down and saying, hey, I appreciate the advocacy, but, you know, this is really the more appropriate application, or this is really what I had intended when I said that. So yeah. the ability, the ability to correct, you know. <laughs> right. Let's. Uh, well, what would you like to? We're we're. I'm going to start closing the show. So what would what things would you want to focus on for the last piece of this? And this won't be the last time, listeners, that we talk about this because this is a, this is one that is a, two, three, four, five show kind of a topic. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think just, um, you know, as we move forward into 2019, I think that, um, you know, not only as, as women, but as leaders, there are multiple challenges that, that are in front of us. And um, just keeping in mind that you know, just as we're seeing a lot of authenticity unfold uh, around us, you know, I, I'm thinking of the women who have been recently voted into political mm-hmm. office as an example um you know we we elected them collectively it's okay. their job now to show up as the authentic representatives that we elected um yes. and i i think that we have that responsibility in whatever context we're showing up you know it's it's a service not only to ourselves um but those around us to show up as authentic and real as we can possibly be, be present, um, use our gifts of imperfections as strengths, as Brene Brown would say, um, and move forward and dare to lead into 2019. Agreed. And I want to just add one last thing to that. 
these women that we have elected into office are going to make mistakes and they are going mm-hmm. to make missteps. So if we can please, because you already know, listeners, that they are under such a microscope. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. and we know the press is looking for juicy stories and you know that every little thing that they do is going to be front page this and front page that over, over just things that are absolutely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Try to look beyond the headlines and have a lot of compassion for them and know that when they make a mistake, that does not mean that immediately they should be fired and, you know, out of here and it's over and now we can't trust them. Let them have the benefit of the journey of coming back from a mistake or a misstep, just like we want you to do for yourselves. Absolutely. Um, Because it's those mistakes or missteps that build our personal experiences. Gives us the opportunity to storytell and to guide and and be even more authentic in the way that we lead. So absolutely. Well, Catherine, thank you for spending the uh, kickoff week of the new year with us to talk about leading as ourselves on Women Who Lead. Thank you, Kristen. It's always a pleasure. (laughs) And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to another episode of, I know I always say edition, and it's like old school stuff, another episode of Mental Health News Radio. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous, and they're just good people. And also MyGenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, CopeNotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. So-